from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is Jenna Fisher. I played Pam Beasley. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Here we are. We're back, baby. The Office Deep Dive. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, you will be hearing my conversation with Jenna Fisher. Uh, Let me tell you something. Jenna and I bonded during the run of the show. We were both nerds for television, and we would have long conversations about television and what we were doing in television. In a way, those conversations are what led me to want to do this podcast, conversations that I had over the years with Jenna. And recently, since I started this podcast, and she obviously is the grand puma, I don't think that's the right phrase, of podcast. Her and Angela obviously host and produce Office Ladies. Uh, Jenna and I, over the last couple of years, have been bonding once again over the office, what the office means today in the cultural zeitgeist. And she and I have had lengthy conversations about that very subject. And today you're going to get to be a a fly on the wall. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear it. She is one of the most insightful, incisive, smart uh, women that I know. And I'm so excited to talk about the thing that we both love, the office. So, here she is, Jenna Fisher. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. 
I got all dressed up. Please, who cares? In my in my hat and puffy coat. I. Are we beginning? Have we begun? I mean, you're ready. You look official. You have papers and a no, computer. No, I have paper and a computer. Do you use a? You don't use a computer. During you, my podcast, yeah. I use papers, and yeah. Angela uses note cards. note cards. See, I can scroll here. I can scroll through things, and I can skip on interesting things. But you're staring right in my eyes yeah. while you do and it. I can just sort. Of, yeah. So I don't have to do this. Yeah, that's so loud and messy, and I was very distracted by that. (laughs) It's slightly weird to be stared at while someone's hand is like scrolling a computer. No, you won't see it. I won't. I won't. I'm not going to scroll through 15 pages. Wow, Um, 15 pages. Listen, there's a lot here. This is a big day. It's a really big day. Okay. Yeah. So, 2003. Yep. What were you doing before the office? I had been at this point finally making a living as an actor for one year. I had been in Los Angeles over seven years, but I was finally earning my all of my living from just acting. I had done a pilot. You get paid a lot to do a pilot, so that was a big thing. But the pilot wasn't picked up, so I made a grandiose announcement to my management and agents that I would be quitting acting. I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take the rejection. I just was putting my heart out there, and I just thought, I'm going to become a vet technician. I was very sure. This is true. This is true. I don't remember this. I looked into it. It's a two-year program. It's very full-time. And my manager, Naomi Odenkirk, she said to me, Jenna, will you give us one more year? I mean, you're so close. You really are. You don't understand. This is what it is. My acting coach yelled at me and said, don't be stupid. You're doing great. This is what an actor's life is. It's a series of minor accomplishments and tons of rejection. So this is being an actor. You're doing it. So I said, okay, I'll do one more year. And that was the year that I got the audition for Pam on The Office. By the way, I was also uh, starting down my vet tech You were going to classes. I was working with an animal rescue group, and I was— taking care of cats in my own home. I was learning how to do things like fluids and uh, all kinds of medical things. I did not know this. Yeah, I was trapped neutering and releasing cats in the wild. Oh, my word. Then Allison Jones called and asked me to audition for The Office. Now, I had been auditioning for Allison Jones for five years. So the first thing, I went on a general meeting with Allison, and uh, It was a great meeting, and Allison called me in to audition for a one-line role on Freaks and Geeks. Right. I didn't get it. Then Allison called me to audition for Undeclared, which was a Judd Apatow show, uh, for one line, and I got it. And then that one line led to a second episode where I had two lines. So this was my first recurring role. Yes, this is okay. But this is all, you know, a while ago. Right. Um, I think I also, through Allison, got... My very first speaking role on television was for Spin City, the Charlie Sheen years. Okay. So those were some a few of my ways that 
Allison had been in my life, and right. she was great. She also called me in for like a Steven Spielberg miniseries that I bombed. It went nowhere. I was horrible. And she said, maybe drama's not your thing. <laughs> and <laughs> that then she, like her. yeah, she said, you know, it's you're going to be fine. Don't worry. I'm still going to call you in for other things, but maybe drama's not your thing. <laughs> so very quickly, my Allison Jones story was I moved to L.A. right before The Office started. And I knew the British version of The Office very well. And I knew they were doing an American version. I was like, this is the show that I must be on. And wow. so I went to my agent at the time and I said, okay, they're looking for people who are not known. And they said, this is a direct quote. They said, they're looking for unknown people, but not like you unknown, not like totally unknown. <laughs> But my manager, he kept calling and calling and calling. And I went and I met with Phyllis. Then I met with Allison. And then I ended up doing that. Well, so here's the thing. That little caveat in the casting call that said unknown actors only. Yeah. That was why this was my big break. Right. And, and this was also why I had been so frustrated and wanted to give up. Because I would go through these long audition processes for television shows. And I would get as far as the on-camera test part. And then they would give it to Allison Hannigan. Allison Hannigan got like three parts that right. I was up for. Right. She, I could not break through Allison Hannigan. <laughs> but I was this unknown actor, and I had absolutely nothing to offer a billboard on Sunset Boulevard. Right. I, I had, you know, no name recognition. Right. So I couldn't get these big lead parts until The Office when finally the thing that had been working against me was my gift, which was that I was unknown. Right. And now, what do you remember about the day of? Did you see anybody else there? Any other people that you you knew at the time or that ended up being cast? Or was there anything specific about that day? Well, I've seen those casting sheets that Allison right. showed us at right. the end of the series. And I saw all the various well-known, now well-known people who came in to read for the different parts. And none of those people were at my casting call that okay. I remember. But I was- Me neither. I was just very focused on my audition. Right. Can we play that clip? You have a clip? Mm-hmm. I hope they get rid of me. Because then I might actually get off my ass and do something. Because I don't think it's many little girls' dreams to grow up and be a receptionist. And I don't know what I'm going to do. But whatever it is, it's got to be a career move, not just another arbitrary job. And... Jim's advice was that it's better to be at the bottom of a ladder that you want to climb than halfway up one you don't. Was that my audition? Yes. That's insane. Do you remember that? I mean, was that was that you or was that was that scripted? That was scripted. Okay. So I had a monologue that was scripted, that, that talking head. Right. I also did a scene. I did the scene where Michael fires Pam and she calls him a jerk. Yeah. Where he fake fires her as a joke. And then I had a just improvised interview with Greg. Greg Daniels was there at my first audition. I went, I guess, straight to producers, as they call it. Right. So Allison and Greg were there. And I remember Greg being very, wringing his hands like in a, like a fun, like he couldn't believe he's going to get to start this project. And he's so excited. And... uh and I just remember the way he was looking at me. He was very curious, kind of like, huh, she's not doing much, is she? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> That's so – well, so you and I – I'm going to start talking about myself again because it's ultimately everything is about me. My thing was I knew that Kevin was the part that I should have. 
mm-hmm. and Allison Jones is brilliant, but she had me reading for Stanley. Uh huh. And so I read Stanley as if it were Kevin. Ah. And then I left the room thinking, well, <laughs> I'm not sure. And and sure enough, she ran after me and said, oh, we have this other part that we want you to look at. And so then that's how that happened. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, the test process. How was that? Yeah. So normally when you test for a show, you just perform your scenes live in front of a conference room full of executives. But we were told that because the camera was such an essential part of our show and relating to the camera was so important that they wanted to do an on-camera series of test scenes with the final four actors for each part. So they called us into an actual office building for two days, and they mixed and matched us, and they taped us doing scenes. And it was great because we were able to give those looks to camera We were able to react when we noticed the camera was there when we thought it wasn't. It really was such a huge element of the show. Greg's other argument for doing it that way was that the show was small in its acting, and the moments that played the biggest were small moments. And he didn't really feel like auditioning in a conference room was going to give the executives the right feel for what he was going for or what the show was. Genius. Yeah, totally genius. And now, I think you have told this story, or this is lore. What do you remember about your manager calls you and says you've been cast as Pam? Yes. I think you might be wondering if the first question I asked was, is John Krasinski playing Jim? Yes. And that is true. That is true. And they said yes, and I was like, okay, then we're going to be fine. Right. Because I was a little worried. I was like, if it's not him, I hope I can still do it. Because they matched me with him a lot on our test day. And, you know, I, I was like, this guy's making it real easy for me, so please cast me with him. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. 
Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. It's a hard time for hiring. So you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, going back to the pilot, it seems to me that, so like your test experience, right? There were a number of things that were unique and different that came from from Ken or Greg or a combination. Um, what are some of the things that you remember that were different in the way that the pilot was shot from, say, a normal television show? I remember on the pilot, everyone in the cast had to be hair and makeup ready and at their desks starting at 7.30 a.m. And we would work, quote unquote, for 30 minutes. And Ken would walk around with just a camera operator and a boom and record us at our desks just b-roll of us at our desks right and w- what um what did you think of the pilot when you saw it what did i think of the pilot when i saw it i must have watched that pilot a gazillion times right. i have a very embarrassing story about watching the pilot okay go ahead so um there was a friend of a friend who was this big deal manager 
he really wanted to see the pilot. And I thought, well, I have a DVD of the pilot. Maybe I'll take it to his office. But I was so afraid of it leaking that I insisted that he watch it while I sit across from him. I wouldn't leave the office without the DVD. I was like, well, you can watch it, but you have to watch it right now while I wait. What was I doing? I was nobody. I don't know. Isn't that so weird? That's uh, that's amazing. So bizarre. But he really he wanted to it. see it. Because he, everybody in town wanted to see the pilot. Right. Everyone wanted to see it. They were dying to see what this American version of the British show was going to be. Now, Brian, do you remember coming to my house and watching the pilot and sitting on my floor and gathering all together? Yes, I do. Yeah. Angela was talking to me about it recently, and she was like, well, I remember you couldn't get the sound to work on your sound system. That and is I true. was like, really? And that- she's like, yeah. And I remember my dog got out, and I had to chase my dog down the street. That's another story. But but that was sort of the beginning of us all gathering together to watch the show every week, which is what we did. That's so – I totally forgot about that. Um, so, so we're in a real office space and we are doing this fake work B-roll stuff, like all of these elements to try to create sort of the ultimate reality. Yeah. And to me that there's something interesting. Well, what, what would you say your training was? As an actor? As an actor, yeah. Um, I have a Bachelor of Arts in theater from a little liberal arts college in rural Missouri called Truman State. So... This job was a dream job for me as a theater geek. To be able to do this acting exercise where I'm at my desk, excuse me very much, but I'm acting, <laughs> was like, oh, it was everything my training had prepared me for. That's, yeah, see, that's, and so that was you. And then Rain and I knew each other a little bit from yeah. theater as well. And then you've got Angela and Oscar and Steve, who are like improv. Yes. Right. And then yeah. you've got BJ and Craig Robinson that are uh, stand-up guys primarily. To me, there's there was something about the creation of the ensemble that there were all of these funny people, but they all sort of had a different perspective. And there was something about the reality, sort of the ultra reality of being stuck in this room and doing this work yeah. and always being there together that that sort of helped meld us together in a weird way. Yeah. I think if we had all been improv performers, it would have been a shit show, right? Or if we were all theater people, we would have been taking all of ourselves too seriously. The mix was important, like the way all of the ingredients came together. And I think, you know, another thing that was really unusual was that we were all always at work because if you weren't in a scene, you were in the background of a scene. We would joke sometimes. We'd be like, do none of us go to the bathroom? We (laughs) never leave for lunch. Like, we're always (laughs) all at our desks. By season six or seven, people were going to the bathroom a little bit more. From time to time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) More more often than. Um, All right. Well, theater nerd, how is Pam different from Jenna? Well, it would not take me three years to tell Jim that I had feelings for him. I mean, I would have dumped Roy much quicker. (laughs) I would have been like, who's this guy? Because not just that. I mean, when we meet Pam and Jim, they've already been working together for a couple of years. Right. And then it's still three more years after that before they figure some stuff out. I mean, I'm much more ambitious, much more of an entrepreneurial spirit than Pam. However, 
the way that we are very similar is that uh, it took me a long time, like Pam, to figure out how to speak up for myself. Like Pam, I spent many years sitting at a reception desk wishing that I was doing something else. I literally sat at reception desks and daydreamed about the day that I might be an actor. And Pam sits at that desk and she daydreams about being artistically expressed. And so I could really relate to that, that feeling of I want something more than what I'm doing, but I don't know how to get it exactly. But I will say that as Jenna, I was taking much more actions in my life to get out of my situation than I think Pam did. It took Pam a lot longer. Right. But she had a lot more um, forces against her than I did. You know, I'm not sure Pam's mom was saying things to her or her parents were saying things to her like, honey, you can do anything you want to do. If you want to be an artist, you go be an artist. I mean, th that was the messaging that I was getting from my parents. You got to go for it. Do what you love in life. Even if you aren't successful, you'll be glad you did it. I mean, I had those kind of parents. They didn't support me financially as an actor, but they supported my spirit, and they were always there for that pep talk. And I, I mean, I don't even know if I can explain how valuable that was. And it was clear to me that Pam didn't have some of those tools in her toolbox. Do you, do you think that Greg and the writing staff, because in a way they were masterful about this, right, about finding things finding things that were true to you, the actor, and incorporating them into the story. Do you think that Pam's want and desire to be an artist and to be seen in that way, do you think that there's anything that was taken from you? I'm not sure because if I remember correctly, I feel like the character on the British show had some minor desire to be an, an artist. Doesn't, doesn't the Tim character give Dawn some drawing pencils at some point? Or am I making that up? I don't remember. I don't know. But um, mm. I do know that Greg used to ask me questions about my thoughts. And that, that was so unusual. The fact that several of our writers were also actors, so they were down with us. They were observing us all the time. I mean, you, Angela, and Oscar. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. single-handedly created that insane dynamic between the three of you through, I believe, improvisation when you were bored in the background. A hundred percent, yes. And so then you've got Mindy, BJ, and Paul watching you guys and then taking that back up to the writer's room and fleshing it out. Totally. It was genius that Greg did it that way. But then more than that, Greg truly believed that no one knew our characters more than we did. And he would ask us questions all the time. He cared about our opinions. He wanted to know all the time, what do you think Pam would think of this situation? He was always very curious. He also knew that I worked in offices and that I had worked as a receptionist. And he used to ask me questions. What's the craziest thing one of your bosses ever made you do? And I can't remember if I told this story to him before or after But there's that episode where Michael is refusing to sign all of his documents until the end of the The day. day. He just keeps putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And I told Greg I had this boss once that every month at the end of the month, he had to turn in this boilerplate report and he would put it off and put it off. And one time he put it off so long, I had to drive to LAX because that was the last FedEx pickup. And I was so pissed. And Greg was like, he loved those stories. He loved whenever we told him stories like that, and they would get used. Okay, so we shoot the pilot. We eventually air... Striking to me that you started like December ish, right? Of like 2003 into January. We shot the pilot in February of 2004. Yeah. And it's 13 months before anything gets on the air. It's not so, I mean, it's. Well, I've got a story about that. We shot the pilot in March of 2004, and my 30th birthday was March 7th of 2004. And I did not invite any of you to my 30th birthday party because I assumed I would never see you again. 
I was so sure that making the pilot was the end of our show, that it would never get picked up, not because it wasn't good, but because it was so good and so weird and so special that no one would give us a chance. I thought, well, I don't know. All the, the word on the street was just, have fun making your pilot, that's all it'll be. Right. And then similarly, have fun making your next five episodes. They'll probably just be yours to own on a DVD. Enjoy. Right. So yeah, so then we go back, we make these five episodes in a complete bubble. And then it was not until, yeah, like that following, what was it? Was it like April of 2005? They started March March. of 2005. They finally start airing. Yes. And they had to tell us by May if we were picked up for the second season then. Yes. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. And we were a disaster, like a ratings disaster. Well, if if it were today, we would be a ratings hit right off the bat well, because, yes. right. But <laughs> yes, we were a ratings disaster. But then you know what happened. And I know exactly why we got picked up. It was that 40-Year-Old Virgin came out. Yeah. 40-Year-Old Virgin came out and 100%, I can, I can hear in my imagination, a conference room filled with NBC executives all saying, we aren't going to be the assholes who let Steve Carell, the number one box office comedy star, out of his television contract. Right. We're picking up this show for six episodes of <laughs> season two. Again, right. six episodes is all we got for season two. But then they really did tailor the show more to Steve, more to what Steve would be as Michael rather than um, as inspired by David Brent. Yeah. So what do you remember? What, what differences do you remember between one and two? Like artistic changes. Artistic changes. I think the biggest thing I noticed was when we started season two, Steve had lost like, what, 20 pounds or more? I don't know. He was so fit because he had gotten in shape for 40-year-old virgin. and. They started allowing the character of Michael to be more sympathetic. They would let him break our heart a little bit. Even in the Dundies, for example, you see a bunch of people heckle Michael, and then you see the people in the office stand up for Michael. And in the first season, none of us ever stood up for Michael. We all just hated Michael. But they started to allow Steve to display vulnerability, which he's so good at. But then also you have an episode in season two, like The Client, where you see Michael start out as what seems like a total buffoon and turn into a masterful salesperson. Right. You see a reason that he actually has this job. Yes. And I think those were differences. In the first season, we just really leaned into his mean-spirited buffoonery, the ways he irritated us. But now in season two, we were bringing out sprinklings of these very redeeming qualities in him. Or even the Halloween episode in season two, where at the very end, after he's had this horrible day of having to fire someone, you see him hand out candy to these little kids. It makes me cry every time I watch it. Every time. Or the end of Office Olympics, where he's crying because everyone is so genuinely applauding for his purchase of a condo. These little moments in each episode, there seemed to be one in each episode. That was very different from season one. Right. Um, season two, everything everything changed, right? Yeah. So we have six episodes, and then we do six episodes. And then didn't we get 
I think four, four more. more, and then three more, three, and then two, yeah, and then what I remember very clearly was sometime after the new year, they said, "Okay, you can finish twenty-two, and then within two weeks, we had an order for season three, a full order." I did not remember that. Yes, I do. Do you think I'm wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. I always wondered because to me, I did not feel like I had job security until Steve won the Golden Globe. Well, there was that. And then there was iTunes. Yeah. They started doing the video iPods. The Christmas episode went to number one like that. Yeah. And the Christmas episode on TV was our highest rated show. So it was like, you know, from December to January, suddenly things changed. Yeah. And then after season two, we won the Emmy. Yes. Is there anything specific about that night that you remember? I remember that Emmys because at this point now, we had become a bit of a critical darling. So in the beginning, the critics hated us. Right. And they only compared us to the British show. And then we had turned them around now in time for the, this Emmy Awards. And so being at these awards, we were the new kids on the block. We were super fresh. The critics loved us, but we were still not a front runner to win. And so it was a complete surprise when we won. Many people there had no idea who we were. They didn't recognize us. It's funny. I remember, um, I remember running into the cast of Scrubs. And they were like the big deal guys. And we were the newbies. And they were super nice to us. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Scrubs. Cut to like eight years later, I remember then being at an award show and running into the next batch, the new freshman class of TV. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm Scrubs now. We're Scrubs. We're we're like the the kids who've been around the block a few times. Totally. See, mine wasn't. Mine was Portia de Rossi. Oh, was, you yep. ran into Portia de Rossi to at Portia the first Emmy. At the first Emmy, super nice, so great. Yes, and that's what I thought. Um, going back a little bit, another thing that I think made us really unique, um, and also sort of that ultra realism was Scranton. Yeah, and making the decision. For it to be Scranton. Well, and I know that they did a lot of research when it came to just the things that were around the office, local radio stations, hers potato chips from Pennsylvania were in our vending machine, really creating this realism, the Lackawanna County um, coal mine. Coal mine, yeah. Things like that, you know, working all that stuff into the show. I know it really... Always broke Greg's heart that we never shot an episode in Scranton. Every year, they would toy with the idea of taking us there, and it was just always cost prohibitive. I know Greg's dream was that we would shoot the St. Patrick's Day parade. This is so crazy that you're saying this. That was literally when asked my biggest regret. That was it. Yeah, I would say the same. My biggest regret was that we never shot in Scranton. But the city of Scranton, I remember one year, uh, they were really looking into this parade idea, and they agreed to move their parade two months earlier, you know, because we would have to shoot before St. Patrick's Day. So they were going to have their St. Patrick's Day parade in January, and they just couldn't 
figure out cost-wise how to get the entire cast and crew there. Right. To me, it's a it's this weird like dichotomy thing where even though it was about Scranton where very few people had gone, right? You know, mm-hmm. on a, on a national scale, like mm-hmm. people don't know those places, but having those details sprinkled in to me somehow translated to making it more universal. I absolutely agree with you. I think as a person who grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, me and other people who grew up there, we so identify our city as part of us. And so it made it more universally real that we identified so strongly with the city we were in, Scranton. And I think that's true of a lot of people where you grow up, right? No, absolutely. There's just, I love that city. And there's something about my connection to that city. Do you remember the, I can't remember the year, but the presidential election, right? Where everybody who was running, somehow suddenly everybody was from Scranton, right? Like Joe Biden had his Scranton connection. Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They were all trying to get in with the office viewers. (laughs) No, totally. It was all like, oh yeah, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, I used to go and visit grandma and she would, you know, it was this crazy, like, became this sort of cultural touchstone. Like the heart of the nation. Is is located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I love it. Um, we talked about there. There was an interesting thing where, you know, the ultimate question is why the show is what it is now, which we'll examine in a minute. But it seems like we were riding this digital wave, right? Like the show started. We're going to do a show about a dying industry. And at the same time that we're doing a show about a dying industry, the technological advances, we ended up riding this wave. Well, early on, you might remember a bunch of us were on MySpace. Yes, we're going to discuss oh, that. Oh, we're going yes, to get to no, that? Yes, no, but go, yes. Well, Angela, BJ, and I, and you did as well, we had these MySpace pages that were on our computers while we were in scenes, and we were interacting with people on MySpace. We were blogging. But we were also, I would type things to people like an instant message, like, hey, when you watch the such and such episode in this scene, you'll know I was typing this to you. And we just, it was like before Twitter, before Instagram, before social media, it was really before Facebook. MySpace was the place that there was this social interaction. Totally. And then there was iTunes. That was huge for us. And then there were the webisodes, the first show that yes. did that online content, and obviously sort of culminating in in Netflix. How do you think that the that those things helped us either reach an audience or Well, I think it connected people deeply to the show. And to have the actors of the TV show that you really love interacting with you, answering your questions, caring as much as you do, it kind of makes you feel like you're part of it in a more real, intimate way. And also, it was real. That connection was real. There would be times when the writers and Greg would read some Twitter feedback about an episode or a storyline, and it did affect things going forward. Give me my remote. I think was a website too where oh, they were. Oh, give had... me my remote. Yes. Yeah, all of and these. And the writers were reading this stuff. Yes. The idea of these bloggers, we had a bunch of fan sites. We had officetally.com run by Jenny Tan. 
And this gal, Jenny, did such a good job of running this website that she would we would invite her to visit the set and give her exclusives and things. And then there was Northern Attack that was based on that line from Diversity Day. As Abraham Lincoln said, I will attack you with the North. Yes. <laughs> Northern, attack. Northern Attack. I love yeah. Northern. So give me my remote, Northern Attack. All of these TV websites and bloggers, people started blogging about us and we were cool, right? Like, oh no, totally. Yeah. And so, but this was all happening for the part first of time. Something. Yeah. Yes. You were part of something. You were part of a movement in a way. And, and our show was part of that movement, I think. All right, we're going to pause there for now, but we are going to be back with more Jenna. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. It's so good. I'm going to make you wait for it. Uh, until then, thank you for listening, all of you, and, and have, have a fantastic week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our associate producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. 
and I'm very forgiving, but like don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one.